Welcome back to Beyond Religion, a podcast about unconfined spirituality. I'm your host, Elizabeth Lott. Believe it or not, we have reached the end of season one. Today is episode 12, and that was my initial commitment to myself. Try this out for 12 episodes, see where it goes, see how you feel, and it's been really fun, and I'm proud of what we have created together and grateful to my friends and colleagues who have jumped in so willingly and effortlessly to have open-hearted, genuine, true conversations. When I started sketching out what 12 episodes of a podcast about unconfined spirituality might look like, I was focused on outcomes and conclusions. Where do people experience the oneness, spirit, God, awareness, whatever you personally call it, outside of or on the other side of traditional religious identity? I want to ask these questions and have the conversations out of a true, genuine curiosity on my part. I've always been fascinated by the whirling dervishes of Sufism, the visions of Teresa of Avila, even the wild stories from Pentecostal traditions. Fascinated, but also a a little afraid, cautious, as well as curious. Maybe a lot afraid, even. These mystical and sensual experiences seem so otherworldly and beyond human control that the notion of actually experiencing any of that has long terrified me. But hearing the stories, I'm totally into it. I said more than once this season that I would record an episode with my friend who encountered elves in Iceland. It hasn't happened, but I still hope to have that conversation and we'll try to chase him down in season two. Yes, I am committing to a season two. I just talked with a guy recently who accidentally found himself deep in a Scientology interview when he walked into their L.A. offices on a whim. Tell me everything, please, right now. I'm obsessed. Maybe I'll get him for season two as well. Yet it's somewhere between the whirling dervishes and high church Protestantism that we're more likely to find the sweet spot of everyday people chasing after enlightenment and maybe being lucky enough to drop into some true peace every now and then. That's honestly the kind of practice I'd like to get to and thought I might land on something that was more like the common person's guide to spirituality. I knew the people I was approaching for conversations. I knew the people I was approaching for conversations either still were or had once been within a particular religious identity. And clearly, most of those in my circle had been in church or within Christian tradition in some way, particularly some kind of Baptist way. What I failed to think through in getting started was taking time to honor the bridge between being in a religious tradition and beyond or outside religious tradition. No one moves from where they've been to where they are. No one imagines a place beyond or outside unless the container or vessel they've been in has become too small or too inhospitable, too toxic, too painful. I talked about this idea a few years ago on Kate Donovan's podcast, Fried, the Burnout Podcast, and I'll link to that in the show notes. Among other things, we talked about why people stay too long in places they have outgrown. I pointed to my collection of potted plants, indoors and out, and what happens when the plant has grown so big that it has become root-bound. There isn't adequate space in the pot anymore for soil and compost and nutrients because the roots have so taken over. 
when this happens, you unpot the plant and move it to a larger container so it can hold on to food and water and all things that plants need to thrive. I have never, not once, repotted a plant and grieved the pot it had outgrown. If anything, the process of moving up a size is really fun because it means more containers and new plants and starting fresh again. It's also messy. Dirt gets everywhere. Occasionally, parts of the old plant need to be trimmed up and pruned as it goes into its new container. But once the work is done, you then have two beautiful plants and two fantastic containers. The containers are fun to look at, they're fun to buy, but the point of the container is to hold and support the life of the plant. We do this with relationships, with jobs, with our own identities, and with religion. If the container itself is not about supporting the life within, but is merely about maintaining the container, then we're approaching this the wrong way. Gardening, stuck friendships, stalled careers, and robust spirituality. So I didn't think through these necessary first steps in storytelling around religion, especially when the metaphor changes from a healthy outgrowing to a poisoned, poorly tended one. People move beyond religion because staying within it has become untenable. Whether the system wouldn't make room for you as you were, episodes 2 and 10, Susanna and Wendy, or the system pushed you out for unnamed reasons or toxic reasons or petty reasons, Episodes 7, 8, and 11, Jake, Matt, and Elisa. Or the system couldn't handle the pain and complexity of your honest, open-hearted, brutal, beautiful life. Episodes 6 and 8, Mary Michael and Matt. Again, see some overlapping of categories here. Or what you know of a winding expanse of life butts up against what you were taught and offered, so you're learning how to let the two coexist without allowing the container to restrict your growth. Episodes 3, 4, and 5, David, Jay, and me. We don't get to the uncontained spirituality part with some kind of catalyst to send us searching and exploring. And more often than not, that catalyst is pain. But the searching and exploring aren't about pain. They're about chasing after truth. And the mere fact that people can go searching for truth or the Sumant Kid line from episode one, hear the sound of the water and go looking for the source, means we humans know something intuitively deep within ourselves that this thing of religious container, whatever it is, is not truth, at least not the whole truth. When we've been told to play small, to wear a mask, to keep sweet and obey, to plaster a smile and not complain, and it feels awful, it feels like we're denying part of who we are or even all of who we are, that awful dissonant feeling can only exist in our bodies because the knowing what is better and truer is also already there within us. We feel like we're being diminished because we sense within our beings there is a fuller us than what the system or the container will allow. The Quakers say there is that of God in everyone. The ancient Greeks spoke of in theos or enthusiasm or God within to capture that sense of inspiration and joy and passion that takes over a person's whole being. The French Jesuit thinker and teacher Pierre Teilhard de Chardin 
famously said, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. So if this thing, this divine knowing is already placed within us, then maybe, as Paul Coelho writes, maybe the journey isn't so much about becoming anything. Maybe it's about unbecoming everything that isn't really you, so you can be who you were meant to be in the first place. And what I've remembered in recording all of these episodes is that the unbecoming process is both tremendously beautiful and tremendously hard because we're talking about undoing the entire framework of being and consciousness handed to many of us who grew up in a religious identity. And we were unwittingly taught that the container itself was the reality to pursue. I say unwittingly because I think much of the teaching was unconscious. Maybe I'm being excessively gracious in saying so, but I think a lot of what goes on in maintaining systems and structures is inertia and not always elaborate plots by evil geniuses. For those of us who have recently watched Shiny Happy People and The Secrets of Hillsong, there are definitely power brokers and authoritarian there are definitely power brokers and authoritarians who purposefully and knowingly teach a particular message to maintain the container because that container is making them very rich and very influential. In the most toxic stories, the teaching gives them unchecked authority to touch and taste and take whatever or whomever they want, even when they tell their adherents not to. And I think those extreme examples give those of us outside the most fraught systems a false sense of security as we watch and say, phew, at least that one isn't my story. But a lot of us also recognize the threads of those extreme stories that weave their way into ours. The lessons about purity culture, about sin and forgiveness, about being shunned from community or cast into eternal damnation if we don't conform rightly, about performing good enough, performing holy enough, performing denying ourselves. A lot of us have woken up or are waking up to the ways religious traditions have taught us to diminish who we are in order to fit some standard of comfort and conformity that is soul-crushing, even if we've been lucky enough to not have someone directly and punitively crush our soul. In preparing for season one, I took for granted how hard the process of unbecoming is, and I underestimated how much unbecoming I still have left to do. I also didn't think through the infidelity of refusing to keep secrets. There's this pressure for all religious adherents to support the system by speaking well of it at all times. It's sort of like the cultural teaching of not discussing family business outside of the family. There's also an even stronger pressure for clergy to support the system of religion by only speaking well of it. I feel guilty for calling out the parts of my religious identity and upbringing that no longer serve. I do. I feel guilty on some level for not keeping all the secrets anymore. But I've reached a place where I feel like not naming the secrets, not bringing them into the light, is a complicit support for maintaining the status quo and 
the status quo has caused too much harm to maintain. Also, I have a number of colleagues who can't tell their stories because of legal restrictions, and this gets us to the confusing world of NDAs or non-disclosure agreements. So while I don't want to get any particular individual in a mess with their previous employer, I want to say loudly that dozens upon dozens of listeners to this podcast have signed NDAs with the churches that once employed them. I know because they have reached out to me. I know because they have reached out to my guests. No one particular story is the only story. And that's the power of no longer keeping secrets. Whether the great big churches like Hillsong or the academic towers of Southern Baptist life or the little bitty local congregation firing its pastor, non-disclosure agreements have become an ordinary part of religious life. In the docuseries, The Secrets of Hillsong, Christianity Today's Mike Cosper asks, why does a church need an NDA? The megachurch is a giant corporation. They're employing hundreds of people. They're taking in millions of dollars. They're managing hundreds of thousands of square feet of property. As an organization, you start going, well, how do we protect ourselves? And the models that you adopt come from the corporate world. You start building an HR process like any other corporation. You start hiring lawyers like any other corporation. And it just goes on down the list because they've adopted the corporate model. They've adopted these corporate safeguards. Now, of course, they're not protecting trade secrets. That's where it gets really troubling. What are they protecting, he asks. In the case of Hillsong and the SBC and the Catholic Church and so many more, a lot of these NDAs are protecting the religious system from stories of abuse being told. That sexual abuse, financial abuse, abuses of power in myriad forms on both the organization side as a monolithic entity and on the individual side as pastors and lay leaders and all kinds of people are silenced. More often than not, a severance package or payment of compensatory damages are contingent upon the signing of an NDA. And most, if not all, of the time, NDAs mean the issue will not be spoken of again, but the toxic behavior will continue in a different place by a different name. All of that has escalated far beyond where I started, naming a desire to be connected to my neighbors, to live with loving kindness, to dedicate myself to being present to my life, to wholeheartedly witness the joy and beauty of my family, a longing to deeply understand that my thriving is linked to my neighbor's thriving. Therefore, seeking justice is about making all of us whole, not just one of us whole. Pursuing an unfolding path that calls me back to fullness of self and requires me to see God in my, God in my neighbor and even my enemy. At its best, religion is a vessel to guide us along those waters we seek to navigate. At its worst, though, well, we've named a whole lot of that. And in all of this naming, dreaming, imagining, some of you feel really seen and met. I've heard from those of you who are hearing your stories and the ones that have been told, even if your story has nothing to do with church in particular or religion in general. We humans, at least the curious ones, are forever becoming and unbecoming. And the thought of allowing even the systems and structures of religion to be questioned 
has been frightening and freeing in equal parts because you thought you were on this journey alone. I'm glad to say you're not. And after a few weeks of summer rest, I'll be back with season two of Beyond Religion. More stories, more conversations, more bridges, and hopefully more expressions of unconfined spirituality, even getting to those Icelandic elves. Until then, I'm excited to hear how your journey continues. As you go, receive this blessing from the late Irish poet John O'Donohue for a new beginning. And out of the way places of the heart, where your thoughts never think to wander, this beginning has been quietly forming, waiting until you are ready to emerge. For a long time, it has watched your desire, feeling the emptiness growing inside you, noticing how you willed yourself on, still unable to leave what you had outgrown. It watched you play with the seduction of safety and the gray promises that sameness whispered, heard the waves of turmoil rise and relent, wondered, would you always live like this? Then the delight, when your courage kindled, and out you stepped onto new ground, your eyes young again with energy and dream, a path of plenitude opening before you. Though your destination is not yet clear, you can trust the promise of this opening. Unfurl yourself into the grace of beginning that is at one with your life's desire. Awaken your spirit to adventure. Hold nothing back. Learn to find ease and risk. Soon you will be home in a new rhythm for your soul senses the world that awaits you. Thanks for listening. I'm truly honored. And I'll be back in just a few weeks' time with a little bit more Beyond Religion.